Hello, hola from La Ciudad de Mexico, also known as Mexico City. Welcome to the 14th chapter in my podcast, My Mexican Mistakes. I make mistakes so you can learn from them. And this episode is actually called Learn From My Mistakes. Before I get into it, however, I do want to say this. Um, Number one, this podcast is now on Apple which is amazing to me that I'm actually on an Apple product, except, of course, for always being on my Apple phone or Apple iPad, but I'm actually now broadcasting on Apple Podcasts. So if you don't want to listen to it on Anchor or Spotify, um, it's on a lot of other platforms, but I'll be honest, I never heard of these platforms, so I can never... Google, Google Play... Um, and then some other platforms that I've never heard of. But everybody knows Apple, so you can always listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts by just typing in My Mexican Mistakes, and there it is. And the old episodes are on there too. Um, So please tell your friends, tell your family, um, spread the word, uh, and I would love to see um, more people listening to this, if only so they do not suffer from the same mistakes I did. I like to think of this as a public service if you come to Mexico City, and of course you should come to Mexico City. It's a tremendous city. It is so beautiful, and it is so complicated. And yes, it can be a little overwhelming at times, but if you take it in small bites, small areas, it's fantastic. Um The food is wonderful. The people couldn't be nicer. I love it here. I've been here for three months. These three months have gone by so fast. And when I decided like a year ago that I was going to move to Mexico City, even though I had never even been to any part of Mexico before, but I said, no, I'm moving to Mexico City. I knew it was the right move for me. And I was not wrong. It's one of those rare instances I did not make a mistake. Um, This, out of all the mistakes I make, moving here was not one of them. And I think that if you're a person that likes to go to Mexico and likes to go to the beach and the resorts and all those places, that's great. But I do think you should visit Mexico City and see what you think for yourself because I don't know anybody who has ever come to Mexico City and not liked it. It is um, astounding how beautiful it is. And every time you turn a corner, there's something that will capture your attention. Now, don't let it capture your attention too much. You do have to look down when you walk because the sidewalks in some places can be a little uneven and cracked. But that's because the tree roots are coming through the sidewalk, which might not be much of a consolation, but it's sort of a cool thing to see. But you do have to pay attention when you're walking. Um, but if you can manage to look down and look up at the same time, a skill I am mastering in Mexico City, you will be rewarded. And I'll, if only you will be, if only to be rewarded by, oh my gosh, another stand selling tacos al pastor, um, that's a big reward. So uh, you've got to come here. The art, the architecture, the design um, of the city, you will be astounded. 
And um, of course, as you are astounded, you can like find someone on a corner selling a big cup of freshly cut fruit or somebody, you know, making tacos al pastor, which you can never go wrong with a good taco al pastor. Um, There's people wandering around with these like wheelbarrows full of snacks, any kind of snack you could imagine from Sour Patch Kids, well, something that looks like Sour Patch Kids, um, and then all the way up to barbecue potato chips. Um, Everything has chili and lemon on it because nothing ever goes wrong with chili and lemon. You can't go wrong. If you add chili and lemon and salt to anything, you will make it that much better. Plus, in Mexico, you have to add chili, lemon, and salt because it's the law. Um, so, And I know all about the law. Uh, and so you do have to add those ingredients, and you will be happy you did. You'll be very happy you followed the chili, lime, and salt law. And if I said lemon a second ago, that's wrong. It's limon. And by the way, here's the deal with the word limon. Limon can be lemon or limon can be lime. In Mexico, odds are when you say limon, you're getting lime. And so if you want lemon, I guess you have to add the word yellow in front of limon, like amarillo limon. But basically, if you want anything citrusy, you're just going to say limon and you'll probably get lime. I asked my friend Irma once, well, if it's the same word for both, I find that very confusing. What if you want lemon instead of lime? And she said, in Mexico? And I said, yeah, in Mexico. She goes, yeah, just ask for limon and you'll take whatever they bring you. And which is a very no-nonsense and practical approach to eating. Um, and you can't go wrong with that approach. So with that out of the way, um, with my push to come to Mexico City, my travel push, and with my push to please continue to listen to this podcast, thank you so much for listening, and please spread the word to your friends. And now that it's on Apple, I think it sounds totally cool because you could say something like, oh, my friend has a podcast on Apple. And I think that will get everyone's attention in a way that, oh, my friend has a podcast on Anchor, would not. Because the response to that statement would typically be, what's Anchor? And if you were to say, oh, my friend has a podcast on Spotify, some people might go, oh, I won't like pay for Spotify. Even though you don't have to pay for Spotify. There is like a fancier version of it you have to pay for, but... You can just get regular Spotify and it doesn't cost anything. But it seems to me that if you say, oh, my friend has a podcast on Apple, most people will be like, really? That's so cool. So that's my endorsement for myself. Um, Okay, so let me now move on to this chapter of my Mexican mistakes, which is called, as I said, learn from my mistakes. And the first thing I want to tell you about is what happened during a lunch yesterday. I was having lunch with a friend of mine who was in from Chicago, and we were having a great time. And I have a terrible habit of, for some reason, refusing to say the words, I don't know. Like, I hate to admit I don't know. And I would rather give a complete nonsensical answer 
and say, no, I don't know. And so with that in mind, here's what happens yesterday at lunch. Um, We were having a great lunch, great time, delicious cocktails, appetizers. Now it's time to order the main course. And for the main course, I was getting a hamburger because I saw somebody else had one and the hamburger looked pretty good. And I had a taste for one because that is something I do miss here in Mexico City. I would give anything for like a bona beef or a port- portillo's. I know it's too much to ask for Gene and Jude's. But if there was like a bona beef or a portillo's in Mexico City, I'd be super happy because I really miss delicious Chicago hot dogs. And when I go back to Chicago in December, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm having a hot dog every single day. And I'm not saying that's a ringing endorsement for the way to live, but I miss them so much. I'm having a hot dog every single day. But here in in Mexico City, there are forms of hot dogs, but they are not like Chicago hot dogs. And so getting back to lunch yesterday, this hamburger rolls past me. I'm like, that looks pretty good. I'm getting a hamburger. That wasn't the mistake. The hamburger was awesome. Um, No, but we were talking about having a salad, uh, maybe splitting a salad or something before like the main course came. Um, But there was the waiter is rattling off these various salads. He said the word palmillo. Now, the word palmillo is like hearts of palm. And hearts of palm are super popular here in Mexico City as are artichoke hearts. When he first said palmillo, I got confused for a second and thought it was an artichoke heart. Um, And so I ordered the palmillo. And as he walks away, the friend I was having lunch with said, what did you end up getting? And I said, "Uh, it's the artichoke heart salad. And I said it with complete confidence. And then we went back to talking. And about two minutes later, I realized, oh, no. I didn't order an artichoke heart salad. I ordered a hearts of palm salad because I remembered palmillo was hearts of palm. And, you know, I the thought of like the hearts of palm salad arriving at the table and that I was wrong about what I ordered, I couldn't have that. So I interrupted whatever this, uh, whatever my friend was talking about and with the announcement that, oh, I made a mistake. That isn't an artichoke heart salad. It's a hearts of palm salad. Now, to be honest, I don't really see much of a difference between an artichoke heart and a hearts of palm. That's number one. Number two, that announcement that I was getting a hearts of palm salad and then an artichoke heart salad was really not worth interrupting what my friend was talking about because it really wasn't that interesting or shocking or earth-shattering of an announcement. But still, I interrupted to announce... No, what I was actually having, what I was about to be served, was a hearts of palm salad. Now, if you would have asked me before yesterday, where do hearts of palm come from? I would have said they come from the can. Um, You could buy them at Mariano's or any other grocery store in the city. Or perhaps they come from the jar, um, pretty much the same location in the grocery store, Or they come from behind the deli counter at Tony's Deli on Northwest Highway in Edison Park. They have a hearts of palm salad too. 
I didn't, I never really thought beyond that, where do they come from? And that's because I'm not really good with nature and I am also not a farmer. So as far as I was concerned, they came from aisle nine at the Mariano's on Western Avenue. Okay, so I'm expecting to have a hearts of palm salad, like maybe there'll be some pimento in there, some celery, olive oil, oregano, salt, pepper. Um, And instead, the waiter walks over with basically a tree, a tree sliced in half through the center and grilled. But it was a tree. It had like thick leaves at the top. It had like a bark. Um, Now, I'm going to cut to the chase on what it tasted like, and it was absolutely delicious, and I've never had anything like it. But you know what it was? It was the palm tree with the hearts of palm at the center, and it was roasted, and it did have olive oil. And then, of course, you know, I added lime, um, and with this little dish of like this kind of almost like a rock salt that you put some like this crunchy salt on it. It was outstanding. Um, <laughs> but it was a tree sliced in half because it was the hearts of palm. It was a palm tree, not like the gigantic ones you see on the street. I'm not Fred Flintstone where he got like the brontosaurus burger at the drive-in and it tipped his car over. It was like a small palm. But it dawned on me when he put it on the table that why didn't I just ask what I was about to get? And why, when my friend asked me, was I getting, why didn't I just admit I didn't know? Because I really didn't know what I was getting. Um, but it was, it was a mistake that totally paid off. And then my friend said, well, I said, oh my God, I can't believe I made this mistake. And then he said, my Mexican mistake. And I was like, perfect. So that's why I let off with this story. Um, because nobody was more surprised than me that when I got a tree with my lunch. Um, but it was a good tree. It was a delicious tree. And now you know, well, I should say now I know. Maybe you already knew. Now you know, or I know, where hearts of palm come from. They are the heart at the center of the palm tree. And, you know, I, I'm not an idiot, contrary to what you might think listening to this podcast. It's not like it never occurred to me that they didn't come from somewhere in nature. But it also, at the same time, it never occurred to me they came from the center of a tree. Because I always thought the only palm trees were the big, gigantic ones that you see on the street. Here in Miami or like, in Be- remember in the Beverly Hillbillies? You know, they're driving and they're driving under all the palm trees at the beginning of the show. Um, So, you know, I didn't think hearts of palm came from those things. Um, But I guess there's like mini palm trees and that's where the hearts of palm come from. So if you didn't know, now you know. Um, Okay, so here's something else where I would like you to learn from my mistakes. Back in Chicago, I had a friend who would always say people should walk like they drive. And I think he basically meant if you're going to take a stroll, if you're going to be slow, if you're going to stop to look at things, then you should stay to the right. 
And if you are just walking like you mean business, then you need to, you could be on the left. And I always think that's what he meant. I never really asked him because I was not that interested in that announcement. And I just figured I could walk any way I wanted because this is America. Um, but, and I'm more of a stroller and a dawdler and he was more of a walker. Um, but I will say in Mexico, it is great advice to walk like you drive. But I don't mean if you're slow, stay to the right. Although I suppose that's always good advice. What I mean is this. If you're going to walk somewhere and at a certain point, odds are you're going to be making a left turn or a right turn and that pattern will continue uh, throughout your walk. If you know you have to, you're going to have to turn left, what you want to do is turn left as soon as possible. Get to your left and turn left as soon as possible. Same thing for the right. If you know you're going to turn right, make a right turn as soon as possible. Get on the right side of the street to be ready for that right turn. And if you're going to make a left turn, be on the left side of the street to be ready for that left turn. Because here's why. These streets are not like the streets in Chicago, where they pretty much just cut through. And so if you're walking, let's say, down, um, I don't know, Clark Street, and you are going to have to turn left on Monroe, well, Monroe's going to go through Clark Street. And so it doesn't matter what side of the street you're on, you will be able to make that left turn. You're not going to miss Monroe. But in Mexico City, it's a little different. And so what will happen is if like Google Maps or whatever you're following says turn left when you get to Mexicali, for example, well, well, that's a big street, so that might not be a good example. Like a little street. Um, like I had to turn on Santissimo. And Santissimo is a teeny tiny little street. And I didn't realize that if I wasn't going to be on the left side of the street, I wasn't going to be able to make that left turn on Santissimo because Santissimo didn't go through. And I made the mistake of being on the right side of the street and I walked past Santissimo and I probably walked about half a mile before I finally realized I maybe went too far. And how did I miss Santissimo? I'll tell you exactly how I missed it. Because I should have been on the left side of the street from the get-go waiting to make that left turn on Santissimo. And it took me approximately two and a half months to figure that out. Because I'm pretty good with directions and I'm not the worst at following a map. And yet, I would always miss my streets, always. And the beauty of Mexico City, of course, is if you get lost and you know you wander into some other area, it's going to be fantastic. It's like, oh, you can't get into the restaurant you want? Don't worry. Whatever restaurant you go to is going to be awesome. It's the same thing here. Oh, I couldn't find you know Santissimo? Okay, well, look where I am. Look at this beautiful area. So it's not like it's the world's worst thing to miss your street and get a, get a little lost here. You could actually have a great adventure and see something you totally weren't expecting. But if you actually have to be somewhere, if someone is expecting you, if there's you have a ticket for something, then it is sort of important to not miss your street. And it finally dawned on me that if I have to turn left, be on the left side of the street. If I have to turn right, be on the right side of the street, because that street might only exist on the side of the street 
like on the left side of the street or the right side of the street. You can't count on any street being on both sides of the street, which I hope that makes sense. I wish I would have figured that out a little sooner. No harm, no foul. But I'm telling you so you know. If Google Maps or whatever tells you when you know to make a left on a certain street, then hang out on the left side of the street. If your next move's going to be right, hang out on the right side of the street. Enough said. That is, you. it may not sound like great advice, but believe me, it is super great advice. Okay, now, the next thing I want to tell you about is the milk here. There are about 10 gazillion different choices of milk. If you think at a typical North American supermarket there are too many choices of milk or everything, um, you, you, I'm not saying you're wrong, but in Mexico, the choices of milk are almost mind-boggling. And that is because they have some ingredient that enables milk to not have to be in the dairy case. There is milk in the dairy case, but there's also a ton of milk on the shelves. So the first thing you have to decide is, do I want the milk from the dairy case or do I want the milk from the shelf? Now, I prefer the milk from the dairy case just because that's what I'm used to. But I've had the milk from the shelves. It's fine. It's like the future here. Like it doesn't always have to be refrigerated. And I'll tell you something else that doesn't have to be refrigerated here. The eggs. The eggs are just on the shelf. And I know it sounds weird, but there again, there is either some ingredient they add, which I don't know how you add an ingredient to eggs, or that some something that eggs don't have that we have. And so in the States, we have to refrigerate our eggs, but here they do not. Now, I don't have any eggs hanging around my place because I don't do a lot of cooking, but I have had eggs repeatedly throughout my three months here, and they're delicious. They taste different, and it's not like you, know, you get sick because they're not in the refrigerator because they know what they're doing. There's a reason they're not in the refrigerator. But getting back to the milk, well, now this makes the dairy case extremely small. Even though this, the milk selection is huge, there's some in the dairy, and then there's a ton of it on the shelves. Um, and, you know, whole milk, skim milk, yeah, okay, we have all that. Um, chocolate milk, almond milk, soy milk, yes. But it's in the dairy case, and then it's repeated on the shelves. And every time I go to the grocery store, I am torn, which kind of milk will I get? I've tried both. I think just because I'm used to milk from the dairy case, that's what I get. But it tastes just as good, and it's fine. So you have to prepare yourself. When you come here, if you do use milk, um, you've got to decide for yourself where do you want the milk from. Um, now, once you open the milk from the shelf that isn't cold when you buy it, I think you're supposed to put it in the fridge. I do, but um, and I think that's a better way to go because now it's open. And whatever the magic ingredient is that has made it so that you don't have to put it in the fridge before it's open, I think now you have to. And again, I, can, I can't tell you anything about what the difference is because I said earlier in this broadcast, I don't know anything about nature and I'm not a farmer. Um, but you prepare yourself for the amount of choices, except 
there is a slight disappointing angle to this story, or slightly disappointing angle, and it's this. If you are used to drinking half and half with your coffee, you're not going to get it. I mean, you can get it sometimes. You're not getting it in a restaurant. I'll tell you that right now. But what you will get, which is even better, is they'll steam the milk with your coffee. So it's delicious, and it's way better than half and half. Um, So if you're at a restaurant, just get that. But if you want to have like a little thing half and half for your house, it's you're probably not going to have much luck finding it. And if you do find it, odds are it's going to be the day before it expires because that has happened to me four times. And I've given up. I have given up on finding half and half. Um, I will be happy if I ever do find it and it's not about to expire the next day. But I am just used to now putting milk in my coffee and it's fine. But there are a lot of choices And I want you to be prepared for those choices. So that's not exactly a mistake on my part, except once I did buy the half and half, didn't look at the expiration date, brought it home, and then it was going to expire the next day. And I am not sure what goes on when something like a dairy product hits the expiration date, but I do not wait around to find out. I do not want to be present when a dairy product goes bad. So when I saw that I made a mistake and just without even looking, bought some half and half that was about to expire the next day, I just got rid of it because I am not quite sure what goes on on the expiration date and I don't ever want to find out. Okay, now to kind of go along with milk because cookies and milk go together so well, um, here's, again, not this is not so much a mistake on my part. You know, it was a bit of a mistake, and then I figured out what the lay of the land was um, fairly quickly. But I want to prepare you for this. If you go into any bakery department in Mexico City, number one, you will see an array of breads, sweet rolls, cookies, snacks. You've never seen these many bakery goods all in one place, and they're prepared fresh every day, and they're there for the taking. I mean, the food here, just as a side note, again, fantastic. Um, And you'll see different kinds of breads that you've never seen before and snacks. They love donuts here. And, you know, donuts are, of course, who doesn't love donuts? But I thought I would try one here just to see, like, are they they as good as they are in Chicago? They're only about 10,000 times better. Um, And I would consider it a mistake trying a donut here because now, of course, I want more donuts. Um, But the first bakery I went into uh, was about a month ago. And because it's not like I'm going to the bakery all the time in Chicago. Um, But I wanted to, you know, kind of just check out the bakery. And it's a big bakery called El Globo, which is, you know, apropos because that means globe. And, you know, it's huge. Anyway, so there were these baskets, like basket after basket after basket of, you know, sweet rolls and elephant ears and, and, and everything. And the baskets are open. So the presumption, not unreasonably, is, well, I can just, you know, take one of these rolls. But then you look around and it's like there's really nothing to take the roll with. And there's no wax paper. You know how like if you're at the bakery department at some 
grocery stores in Chicago, there's like bins of stuff and then like rolls, like sandwich rolls. And there's wax, like little box of wax paper and a little box of white bags. And so you take the roll you want with the wax paper and then you put it in the bag. Or there's those gigantic tongs or pincers like attached with a rope um, to the uh, bins so that, you know, you take your bread with using these pincers or tongs. I couldn't, I didn't see anything like that and I didn't see any paper. So I couldn't understand how was I supposed to get anything when I could see no means of getting it. And so I decided to do some surveillance and some reconnaissance. And instead of focusing on what I wanted, I watched what others were doing. And I followed this lady, like kind of a stalker, um, I mean, me, meaning I was the stalker. I followed her to see what she was going to do from the time she walked in to the time she left. And whatever she did, unless it looked like she was breaking a law, I was going to do too. So she first she marched over to this area where there were these gigantic, and I mean gigantic, round trays. And she took one, almost like if you were going to a cafeteria and we're going to have four meals. That's how big the tray is. Um, so she took one of those trays, and so I took one of those trays. And then she walked a little bit more, and then I saw it. It was like a basket where there were all these gigantic steel tongs, like twice the length of any tongs I have ever seen in America. Um, you know, like you use it to like take things out of like if you're frying or take spaghetti out or something, those kind of things are salad. Um, that's, they they kind of look like that, but they were at least twice as long. So she took one and I took one. And then I realized you take this tray, you take your tongs, and then you just pile up on the tray, whatever it is you want. And then you take it to these women behind a counter and, uh, they wrap it and give you a price. And if you're in a grocery store, you have you have them do it before you check out. And if it's just a regular bakery, then they'll measure it and weigh it, whatever it is they do, tell you how much it costs, and then you pay for it. So it's completely self-service. And I have been doing some inspections because I want to see if there's any bakery that's any different. I want to see if there's one bakery in Mexico City where I could just walk up to the person and say, may I have a cheese Danish, please? Um, no, they have cheese Danishes, but it's all self-service. And it's, I don't care. I'm happy to do it. It's not like I'm going to the bakery every day. But it surprises me. Mexico City is first and foremost the greatest service capital of the world. And I say that because they still pump your gas and look under the hood and put air in your tires and do everything at the gas station. There is no such thing as a self-service gas station. And I hate self-service gas stations. I hate anything that begins with the words self-service. I don't want to take care of myself. I love when someone else takes care of me. This is why I think I love Mexico City so much. But having said that, I want to get down to the bottom of why the bakeries are self-service. So when you're done... 
and you've got a tray full of pastries and even bread. I mean, it's like everything you could buy at the bakery, you choose it yourself. It's not hard. It's just, it's odd to me. And I'm going to have to get down to the bottom of this. Like the history of self-service bakeries in Mexico City. I know like most people that study history, like, you know, the root causes of, uh, you know, World War II or the Korean War or the, the, some battle for succession. No, not interested. I'm interested in why our bakery self-service and nothing else is. Um, but then when you take your tray, and it could be like one little cookie on this gigantic tray. There's never really just one little cookie on that tray with me, but, you know, it's not like I'm feeding a family of six. Um, but anyway, whatever's on that tray they wrap, weigh, measure, pay for, you pay for, and then they take the tray, they wipe it off, they take the tongs, wipe them off, put them back out there. And this is a consistent pattern, and I've got to get down to the bottom of this. But I, I put this on my podcast because you can save yourself a lot of time when you go to a bakery in Mexico City because you'll know what the story is. Look for the tray, the tongs will be right next to it, and then just take whatever you want and pay for it. Um, take it up to the ladies, and they'll sort it out for you. Okay, so that's the bakery story here. Now, I have mitigated, to a certain extent, um, some of my mistakes by learning a little bit of a hack. And I'm not really sure if it qualifies as a hack, but I'm going to call it a hack. Um, and it's this. At now, when I approach someone and I'm looking for something or I need help in some way, I have learned how to say in Spanish, excuse me, I'm sorry, my Spanish is terrible, but. And then I launch into whatever it is I need in a very bad mix of English and Spanish. Um, but the first half of that sentence, excuse me, I'm sorry, my Spanish is terrible, but, and I love when I get to the but part because it's the word pero, and I love to go pero, like, and then I launch into just some nonsense. Um, and it's just a nice break in the sentence. Um, and it's like I give a recognition to the fact, look, my Spanish is awful, but, or I should say, that's never stopped me. Well, it stopped me, but I still keep going. Um, but I have found that when you go belly up right away and look, I'm sorry my Spanish is so bad, and I probably should add, this is going to be awful for both of us. But when you approach people politely, and I always would approach people politely, but I would launch into whatever it was I was looking for from the get-go. And I found that if I preface what I'm looking for with, excuse me, pardon me, I'm sorry, Whatever. I know my Spanish is terrible, but um, people are couldn't be nicer, couldn't be more willing to help. They laugh. You'll find many people who'll say, I'm sorry, my English is very bad. But I always tell them, look, we're in Mexico. I should be speaking Spanish. I don't expect anybody to speak English. If somebody does, and plenty of people do, plenty of people do, um, but if if somebody does speak English, I'm, you know, really happy because my brain hurts sometimes, but I don't expect it. 
But I have learned, and you can learn from me when you come to Mexico, just learn how to say from Google Translate, excuse me, I'm sorry, my Spanish is really bad. Pero, and then launch into what it is you need. Um, you will never be let down. You will never be treated badly. No one will ever say to you, oh, we're in Mexico, speak Spanish. No. You you know may hear something like that in the States. Oh, we're in America, why can't you speak English? With all the anti-immigrant rhetoric. But you don't see that here. People are polite and people are kind. And if you approach people and you're polite and you're kind, everything is totally cool. Even if the second half of that sentence makes the listener's ears bleed, uh, people are still super nice. Um, so that's another, not exactly a mistake, although in the beginning, I think I did make a mistake by launching into like whatever it was I was looking for from the beginning without an acknowledgement that I'm sorry, listener in Mexico City, what you are about to hear is going to be the worst Spanish you've ever heard in your whole life. Um, but now that I acknowledge it in the first half of the sentence, I don't care how bad the second half of that sentence is, people always help me and are really nice about it. So that is something you could learn a lesson from, for when you come to Mexico City. Another thing you can learn from me is this. As you are walking in Mexico City, and I imagine it's true for other parts of Mexico, but I can really only speak to Mexico City. As you're walking around and you're crossing streets, and, and I've already talked about how busy the streets are and how wide they are and how hard they are to cross just because they're so scary and wide and busy and it's hard to know sometimes what light is yours. But when you're walking down the street, you're also going to be crossing the small, like what I would call a one-way street. Or I'm not sure if any streets here are one-way, but for sure, even if they're two-way, I'm, they're like the little narrow streets that, you know, cross the big streets. Um, okay, you're going to hit a lot of curbs, of course. Step down, step up, step up, step down, par for the course. But some of these curbs are super high. And I don't mean just regular high. I mean there should be like a step before you hit the curb. And some places there are steps that lead up to the curb because the stairs are, the curbs are high, but there's plenty of curbs that are just high. Some of those curbs have the handicap cuts and weirdly they are sponsored by Coca-Cola in many places. And Coke, I don't know what the connection is, but it'll be like, this handicap cut is sponsored by Coca-Cola. There'll be a sign telling you, like Coca-Cola's patting themselves on the back. Um, I don't really understand the connection, but I'll say this. I wish I had a sponsor like Coca-Cola here because sometimes these curbs are really high. And if there isn't a handicap cut, you're pretty much on your own. Here's a trick. Look for a driveway. There's a ton of driveways. You won't have to look far. But if you hit a curb that's going to require a small ladder to overcome that curb, then here's what you do. Just walk a few feet away from the curb. You'll find a driveway, and then you walk on the driveway. I'm embarrassed to say I didn't discover that myself. I decided one day when I was walking that, like the bakery, 
I was going to follow somebody and do exactly what they did and see how they overcame these obstacles. And I saw that they overcame the obstacles by just going a bit to their left or their right and then walking on the driveway and then going back to the corner. So you get a few extra steps in and, you know, it's a lot less likely that you will fall um, because these curbs are extremely, um, you know, high. Uh, And like I said, I wish I had a sponsor like Coca-Cola to accompany me so that I wouldn't have to struggle with these curbs. But I don't have to struggle with every curb. And like I said, in many places, there's handicap cuts and there are also steps leading up to the curb. But where there are not, go to your left, go to your right, you find your driveway, boom, it's done. Again, and I guess the larger lesson from that is if you're in Mexico City and can't figure out something, just watch someone else. And the answer will be right there. Um, I've talked about this before. I have talked about this on my Facebook page. The stairs in Mexico City, again, got to get used to them because many of the stairs don't have risers, don't have handrails. And in some instances, it's a combination of both. And then they're terrifying. And whatever's at the top of those stairs, I'm not going to. Because if anybody thinks I'm walking up a set of stairs that don't have risers or a handrail, they're kidding themselves. There's nothing at the top of those stairs worth finding because those stairs are like a ride at Riverview. But I'll say this, very important phrase to learn is planta baja, which means ground floor. Because in Mexico City and other places, I think, too, uh, in Europe... Okay, so if you're in Chicago, the first floor is literally the first floor you come to, which I actually have to say I think makes a little more sense um, because it's you just walk into the building and you're on the first floor. But in Mexico, as in, like I said, other places, the first floor is the ground floor, and then you walk up the stairs to the first floor. I am not against stairs. Stairs are good for you. Stairs are good to walk on. Um, Always good, healthy. But where there is the dreaded combination of no risers and no handrail, I am staying on the Planta Baja. Um, And you you can see pictures on my Facebook page where I put in plenty of examples of the dangerous condition of some staircases. Now, This has nothing to do with my Mexican mistakes, but on the topic, I've got to tell you about something I saw here that was terrifying. And, you know, by the way, when I said I was moving to Mexico City, you know, people uh, were like, oh, be careful, be careful, and well-intentioned, and of course I'm careful. But whatever they thought I should be careful of, whatever I thought I should be careful of, no, I feel very safe. Um, As I said, people are wonderful. There's like a ton of police all over the place. And weirdly, they drive really slow and they have their lights and sirens on a lot. But they still drive really slow. Like I think they just want to say, hey, we're here. Like just in case you're thinking of doing anything, here we are. Lights, sirens, and we're here. There's, I mean, police everywhere. I feel super safe. But here's where 
the real danger is. I've mentioned the stairs, and then I saw the most terrifying thing that I think I've ever encountered in my life. Um, So there's this grocery store that I love called City Market. And it's like the Whole Foods of Mexico, but even better and not as expensive. And um, to get into, I've been to two different city markets. To get into city market, you walk in and you're on the Planta Baja ground floor. And then there's what looks like an escalator. And what is next to the escalator is a set of stairs that are perfectly safe because the stairs have both risers and a handrail on either side. But those of you who know me, my friends, uh, well, and people who don't know me are now going to hear a true confession from me. I am terrified of not just escalators. I don't like to walk on anything that's moving. Like, I used to think I was just afraid of escalators, and I realized, oh, it's no, because when I was at the airport once and there was a moving sidewalk, and I couldn't step on it. And so I realized it's not really the escalator so much as it's stepping on anything while it's moving. I don't think that fear is irrational because the idea of stepping on anything while it's moving seems incredibly counterintuitive. But for the most part, I keep it to myself and I know where every elevator is in every city I have ever been in. Um, And if people want to make you take the escalator, I always tell them, no, I'm blind in one eye. Uh, which is a complete and total lie, but I will say any lie to not be forced to take an escalator. So now let's go back to City Market. I walk on the ground floor. There's the escalator. There's the stairs. Not at all concerned. I'm just going to take the stairs up. I look over at the escalator, and I realize it's not exactly an escalator. What it is is the worst combination I have ever seen of a moving sidewalk and an escalator where you step on like a ramp. And then I guess you just hang on for dear life. But the people that were going up the ramp didn't look terrified or anything. So I suppose it just looks scary to me. But it was like stepping on a moving sidewalk that's on an angle. And I, when I was walking up those stairs and then when I left, walking down the stairs... I couldn't even look at that thing. I wish the stairs were in a completely different department or that escalator was in a completely different department because just walking up or down the stairs, being aware that this weird angled ramp with no stairs where you're just hanging on, it was very very disturbing to me. So not a mistake, But since I'm doing this show about learn from my mistakes, I'm just saying this is something you want to be aware of. I love City Market. I'm going back to City Market. I don't mind going up and down the stairs. Um, But I just wish that weird ramp was like somewhere else. Um, So I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was fun sharing with you my mistakes and how to learn from my mistakes. I guess this episode was more in the nature of general travel advice, but I do not think this is advice you this is advice you'll hear everywhere. This is like advice for living. This is the stuff you need to know. And perhaps after listening to this episode, you'll realize why well, nobody ever followed my advice back in Chicago, but I really think when you come here, you need to follow this advice, especially when it comes to the bakery 
and the driveways. Okay, have fun. Uh, have a fun Labor Day. Have an extra hot dog for me, and I'll see you in two weeks. Adios, muchachos, and gracias for listening. And there, there's an example of I start out strong, gracias, but I don't know how to really say for living, so I just say that part, or for listening, rather, so then I just say that in English. And that goes on here a lot. Start out strong and weak. But I believe if you start strong, you've got the attention of the listener, and then they'll, you know, accept whatever else is going to come out of my mouth. Okay, adios, muchachos. Gracias. Hello, my friends. Hola, mis amigos y amigas. Although I think if you just say amigos, that covers amigas too. But in any event, welcome to my podcast, My Mexican Mistakes. Today is Saturday, October 5th, 2019, coming to you live from Mexico City with my newest edition of My Mexican Mistakes. I'm sorry I missed the last one or two. Things have been a little hectic here, and I just haven't had a chance to sit down and collect the few thoughts I have and put them into this podcast. But what I do want to tell you about today is my adventure a few weeks ago in El Centro, the center of the city, the heart of Mexico City, to join in the celebrations for Mexican Independence Day. Now, the War of Independence for Mexico, when they threw off the Spanish rule, is September 16th. But the war went on for 10 years, which is better than the 100 years war that went on in Europe, which I don't even know if after 100 years you can even call it a war. It's, I don't know what you'd call it, more like a grudge. Um, because 100 years is just too long. 10 years is too long. Um, but the Mexican War for Independence from Spain began on September 16th and lasted for 10 years. Yes, that seems like a long time, except the celebrations for Independence Day seem to go on for about 10 years too. I have never experienced anything like the celebration for the War of Independence, and I'm so glad I went into Centro to celebrate it and watch what happens because it's wild. So I don't live in Centro. I don't live near Centro. Um, I love Centro. It's a great place to visit because it, it is the oldest part of Mexico City. Um, it's got amazing museums, the Presidential Palace, the Zocalo, um, it's you. I Centro is like if you took thirty downtown Chicago's and you put them into Centro, you would still have a lot of room left over. Um, it's an ama- It's it's an amazing place, but it's hectic. It is the personification of my view of Mexico City that the streets are extraordinarily wide. Um, but the sidewalks are tiny. And nowhere is that truer to me than in Centro. 
um, but it does have some of the best and most beautiful parts of Mexico's history. So you definitely have to go. And a lot of people stay there. There's a ton of hotels. But um, I live now a little bit out of Centro, and so it's a bit of a trip. And I don't mind going. I go all the time. But having said all that, I decided to celebrate Mexican Independence Day right from Centro, and that meant getting a hotel in Centro. And of course, since my show is about mistakes um, in large part or based upon mistakes, I made a huge mistake uh, when I made my hotel reservation, which I will tell you about. Um, but I got there a few days early um, unintentionally, and I guess I could just tell you about the mistake now. I got the date wrong of Mexican Independence Day. Now, on one hand, it really shouldn't matter because the celebration goes on for almost as long as the war went on. So can there be a wrong date to celebrate Mexican Independence Day? People could still be, could still be celebrating it now for all I know, but um, yes, uh, there is, because the date of independence is September 16th, and that's important because the night, like the early morning hours of September 16th, really at midnight, um, is when they really kick in with the celebration with El Grito, the scream, the cry for independence that actually took place around 11 o'clock at night on September 15th. And it was when a priest rang a bell and then they made a lot of speeches about, you know, kicking out the Spanish. Um, so I don't know what a priest was doing up so late in church at 11 o'clock, but that's a different story. But anyway, so the celebration begins very late on the 15th or very early on the 16th. Um, and so it's important to get the date right. It's always important to get the date right for anything. Um, but it's particularly important to get the date right for Independence Day because because I got it wrong I had a hotel room for like two days until the day of independence. And then I had to move to a different hotel, which was super difficult because they blocked the streets by then. And so even though the hotel that I was staying at first that didn't have any more rooms for the Greta, uh, for the uh, for guests for Independence Day because they were all filled up, so I was lucky, and I found another hotel nearby, but a little too far to walk with my luggage. And yes, I brought luggage for my four-day stay in Centro because I always overpack because I never know what's going to happen. And when you never know what's going to happen, you better pack like you never know what's going to happen. So I... I realized my mistake, if I would have realized it when I got there, it would have been too late and I would have had to go back home and I would have experienced two of the days leading up to the um, Grito, but I would have missed the actual Independence Day. So I figured out my mistake pretty quickly after I made my hotel reservation, but it was too late. They didn't have any rooms left. So I had to switch to a different hotel, like I said, and 
typically the walk to the other hotel, even with my ridiculously overpacked luggage, wouldn't have been bad um, because, you know, it wasn't like that much luggage. But um, it was bad because the streets were blocked by this point, which, by the way, I... I love anytime streets are blocked in Mexico City and open only to pedestrian traffic because I never feel safer. Um, you Crossing the street here is still a national nightmare for me. Um, and so when the streets are blocked and you can walk anywhere, you have no idea how freeing that is for me. Um, because I, you have no idea how terrifying it is to cross the streets here. So um, I had to walk from one hotel to the other with this luggage. But by this point, I was walking against the tide. And by tide, I mean the 5 million people who come into Centro to celebrate Independence Day. They're walking towards the Zocalo, which is the extremely gigantic square with the world's biggest flag of Mexico. And then all around the Zocalo is like the presidential palace and all these other huge buildings. And the Zocalo is the heart, the heart, the beating, crazy heart of Independence Day. It's the heart of everything. I mean, when I say plaza, I plaza, there there's not a big enough word for the Zocalo. Like Zocalo should be like an adjective of anything that's extremely huge. People should just go, oh, that's so Zocalo, because I cannot do the Zocalo justice here. It's beautiful, and I love it to death, but it's gigantic. And if you're going to walk around the Zocalo, it's like a half day of just walking around the Zocalo. Now, there's the cathedral, there's the presidential palace, like I said, there's these gigantic buildings. Um, and then surrounding the Zocalo, in addition to the gigantic buildings, are people selling everything. But I'm a little ahead of myself. Um, so I knew when I went into Centro a couple of days before Independence Day that I had made this mistake and I was going to have to switch hotels. Um, and, you know, it was like, it's so unlike me to make a mistake in Mexico City. Although usually I don't get dates wrong, but I did this time and it was a pretty important date to get wrong. So I knew going in, I was going to have to move. I didn't know going in that I was going to have to move without being able to get a cab to get to my next hotel. Um, that part, I didn't know. I didn't know until the night before I had to move. But anyway, I get to the hotel, the first hotel, and you would think Independence Day had already been going on for like five days, but yet it hadn't even started. Um, but the Zocalo was already getting ready. There were people cleaning the Zocalo, and you need like a thousand people, not because the Zocalo is dirty, but because it's so big. So there's people sweeping and, um, you know, sorting things and, and making room for things. Now, one thing I did not notice anybody making any room for were like those portable toilets. And I say this because my question 
of where were all these people going to go to the bathroom became one of the overriding questions of this trip. Because every hour of every passing day that I spent in Centro, leading up to and including Independence Day, it became more and more crowded with people, which I didn't mind. Now, okay, people who knew me back in Chicago, people who know me, know, for the most part, I hate crowds. I'm not afraid of them. I used to throw myself into them all the time, but I just don't like them anymore. It's too inconvenient. There's too much standing, too many people you have to walk past. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Too many people bumping you. The whole thing is unpleasant. I'm not a fan of crowds anymore. So the idea that I would go into Centro, which is extremely crowded for Independence Day, which is crowded beyond belief, to people who know me in Chicago is like, what? That doesn't sound anything like Karen. But the key is, if you have a hotel nearby, you can always just duck in the hotel when it just gets too much or you're thirsty or have to go to the bathroom or want to sit down or whatever. So with the safety of a hotel room and the comfort of a hotel room nearby, I'm perfectly happy to walk into a crowd because I don't have to stay there. And anytime I know I don't have to stay there, I am perfectly happy to go. Um, so I get into Centro, check into the hotel. Great hotel, by the way. The best thing about this hotel was they have free snacks 24 hours for all the guests. Like it could be three in the morning and you're like, I'd like some coffee. You just go down to the little lounge and if you're a guest, you get it for free. I'd like a ham sandwich, free. A bag of chips, free. It's the weirdest thing, but the greatest thing. And the hotel is super clean. People are very nice. And then on every floor, there's there's only like five floors. It's a small hotel. Um, but on every floor, when you get off the elevator, there's like a small refrigerator with bottles of cold water. It's the greatest thing ever because I'm always in search of water. So anyway, I, I was very sad to leave this hotel. But I check in. And then I make my way around the Zocalo. Now, they're selling everything at the Zocalo. And all of these things are geared for Independence Day. So there are like hats and scarves and um, masks and T-shirts and, you know, just everything. And then jewelry, like jewelry that lights up in red, white, and green. Everything is red, white, and green for the flag. And there's earrings and bracelets and little, um, like little paintings and posters. And then for kids, there's these giant sort of balloons that light up. And every kid in Mexico City had one of these giant balloons, weirdly in the shape of a pencil. I keep meaning to ask somebody, why were these balloons in the shape of a pencil? I don't know if that was the theme this year, like let's have pencil-shaped balloons, or if there's some significance uh, to Independence Day, or if they're not even pencil-shaped, if it's some other shape that just to me looked like a pencil. But the Zocalo, 
was already starting to get filled with people that were getting their spots for El Grito. Now, this was the 14th or the 13th. I don't know. It was like two days before the Grito. So I, what were these people going to do? It, they weren't setting up campsites, but they were there. Were they going to stand for three days through the El Grito and then the festivities the next day, which is the military parade? I I was I wanted to ask them, but I thought people would think I was crazy, so I didn't. But they were just standing around, and there was music coming from somewhere. Well, I mean, there were gigantic speakers being set up, and there was a huge stage that was being constructed because there was a lot of entertainment planned for the evening leading up to El Grito. Because then at like midnight, the president, you know, pops out of onto some balcony from the presidential palace and does all this chanting and people, and there's like a call and a response. But it wasn't going to be for a couple of days. So I'm not sure what the plans were for the people that were already starting to get their places in El Grito. I mean, in the El Zocalo for the Grito. Okay, so... Not only were there souvenir stands, literally every, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, every five feet, a souvenir stand. Then, where there wasn't a souvenir stand, there was a food stand. Of course, there'd have to be food stands because you needed a lot of stamina for this event because we were two days before Independence Day, but everybody was coming out and getting ready and staking out their place. They had to be fed. They had to be watered. They had to be all dressed up in souvenirs. But where were they going to go to the bathroom? Because like I said, I didn't see any portable bathrooms. Now, I went up to one of the souvenir stands because I heard from a friend of mine that oddly... One of the things you can buy at the souvenir stand are these great fake eyelashes in all sorts of colors. I don't know what fake eyelashes have to do with Independence Day, but when I asked at a few souvenir stands for them, they were sold out already. So, the, But what they did have to offer were purple wigs and these gigantic mustaches neither of which, I'll be honest, appealed to me. But who couldn't use a good pair of fake eyelashes? Um, especially if they were like going to be in red, white, and green, that'd be fantastic. But I guess I was too late because I, I, next time I'm going to get to the souvenir stand first, I'm going to go even earlier than I went before, and I'm getting those eyelashes. Like I said, a purple wig, a Zapata mustache, those things did not appeal to me. But I saw plenty of people wearing them. Um, and as I explored the Zocalo and the buildings around the Zocalo and I watched the people, it was one of the things that was amazing to me was that everybody was getting along. There were like 10 million people there. I'm sure that there were arrests at some point for whatever. But I never saw, in all the crowds, to be serious for one second, I never saw one incident 
or felt unsafe. Everybody was so happy to be celebrating Independence Day um, and to be in the Zocalo, to be in Centro with their kids, eating ice cream with the gigantic pencil-shaped balloons. Um, I never felt unsafe. Like I said, it was crowded, but I never felt unsafe, even with everybody in the whole world, it seemed, in the Zocalo. So I wandered around, like I said, and just really explored Centro and watched the people and, of course, you know, partook in the food stands and um, just looked at all the stuff for sale. It's And the fact that the, some of the streets were blocked, you could really just walk around and, uh, oh, it was, uh, it just felt very free. When streets are blocked in Mexico City, I am never so free. One of the things I did was wander a few blocks away from the Zocalo, and this has got nothing to do with Independence Day, but this might be one of the most amazing things I've seen. I'm walking down this street, and there's a row of women. As I'm walking towards them, there's this row of women, and they're all sitting, and it's got to be like 20 women. And there's another woman standing up, and she keeps like walking up and down this line of seated women. And I realize what's happening when I get close is that like she's um, waxing their eyebrows out on the street and she was going right down the row of women and she was putting on some wax on the eyebrows, then putting the tape on, then going to the next woman. And in the meantime, the women getting their brows waxed were drinking and smoking and eating and laughing and having a great time. And then the beautician went right down the row, whip, sorry, ripping off the pieces of adhesive, like ripping off the wax, ripping off the wax. And every woman like let out a yell, like their own grito. Maybe that's what it was, like the mini gritos for Independence Day, but also getting their eyebrows done at the same time. But it was all public. And it was in a... It, you know, listen, I get my eyebrows done and I don't know a woman who doesn't get her eyebrows done, but we don't get them done out on the street while we're eating and drinking and sitting with a big group and laughing and having the best time ever. And to be honest, if I just hadn't gotten mine done like two days ago in a very boring private room, just, you know, uh, like always, I never thought of, of like doing it like that, like, getting it done like that. It was so much more fun. It was so much more festive. And even the yelling that went on when the lady pulled uh, the adhesive off, it wasn't like really serious yelling, but because everybody was together, plus they were eating, drinking, and smoking, they were having so much fun that everybody yelled. Okay, so I was so happy I came upon that because it had nothing to do with Independence Day, but yet was another example of what I love about Mexico which is that even getting your eyebrows waxed is fun or can be fun. I'm not going back to the boring place that I went to that I never thought was boring until I saw how it really should be done, which is with like 20 of your closest friends and alcohol out on the street. So I enjoyed that. And, you know, back and forth to my hotel, ducking in, ducking out. Um, one of the days... One of those days, I ran into the actor who played Danielle in 
Betty in Nuevo York. Um, A novella, which I'd like to once again remind people, I was a character in. I was not actually in it, but the writers, who are very dear friends, named a character for me, Karen Kerbis, with the tagline that she was the greatest lawyer of all, of like all time, which is so ironic because in Chicago, even though I was a lawyer for a long time, no one would have ever called me anything close to the greatest lawyer of all time. But in Betty in Nuevo York, I was. So I'm walking out of my hotel and he's walking into the hotel. And if you saw Betty, you know this guy's like super handsome. And so I stopped him. Now, it's the midst of all the craziness of Mexican Independence Day. And he was with his wife and his kids. And he just, you know, wanted to get into the hotel, I'm sure. But I stopped him because I had to. And I was like, wait, aren't you an actor? Didn't you play Danielle in Betty in Nueva York? And he was like, yes. And he looked a little worried, like, who's this crazy gringa stopping him? And I said, well, I was in the show too, which I can tell you came as a big surprise to him. And I look, and then I was like, well, wait, I wasn't exactly in the show, but there was a character in the show named for me. So we were both sort of in the show. So we have that in common. And he looked more worried. And if he would have had time to get an order of protection, I think he would have sought one. But, uh, you know, I let him go. But he is, he was wonderful in the show. Um, his name is, oh shoot, I think it's Rudolfo Armas. And he's, but if you look him up, he played Daniel and Betty in New York, and he was evil and great. Because of course, the more evil you are in a novella, the greater you are. Um, and I was so happy to have met him and so lucky. Okay, so that night I was out, and I guess it was the 14th. And when I came back to my hotel, I now saw my street was blocked. So I went up to the desk and I was like, "Um, is this street just blocked tonight? Because tomorrow I have to get out of here, here. And the desk clerk was like, no, the street's blocked tomorrow. And I said, well, how do like people get out of the hotel? And it wasn't like you were trapped in the hotel. Just to me, getting out with luggage was going to be a problem. And they're like, no, it's the streets blocked. You can leave, but you're going to have to walk to wherever it is you're going or until you get out to a street that isn't blocked because by tomorrow, the street's going to be completely blocked or many streets will be blocked. So I figured, well, you just got to do what you have to do. I'm in Mexico. I'll make it work. And I made it work by carrying two very heavy bags, like four blocks, against the tide of humanity, which by now, you have to remember, it's not getting less crowded in the Zocalo, in Centro. It's getting more crowded. Like, I think Mexico brings in people from other countries because everybody in the entire country of Mexico is in Centro. And they need to bring more people in and more people in and more people in. And still, no sign of portable bathrooms. But then I noticed something. 
and I think I discovered the answer to the weird mystery that consumed me. I saw a lot of signs in like, okay, businesses, but also places that looked almost like apartments. And the signs were that they had bathrooms for like five pesos. So I guess all of the businesses or many of the businesses open up and maybe even some apartments. Like you can use their bathroom for five pesos, which I don't, I'm really bad at math, but I don't think five pesos is um, a lot of money. So it's not like they were price gouging bathrooms. Um, but I guess that's what people do. Um, and, and maybe by the time that El Grito actually hits, they have put portable bathrooms somewhere around there. But by the time El Grito hit, I was not going anywhere near the Zocalo because at this point, it was an absolute madhouse. Not in a bad way. A madhouse of like everybody having fun, everybody eating, everybody drinking, everybody wearing um, all sorts of Mexican Independence Day souvenirs. Everybody having a great time. Whole families, people pushing their older relatives in wheelchairs, people carrying babies and all ages in between, everybody together, enjoying, celebrating, loving um, the Independence Day festivities, but a lot of people. And it's, you know, it. so I didn't go into the Zocalo for the actual Grito. Um, by the time that happened, I was at a hotel nearby, not far, but I was watching the festivities from another street and there were some fireworks and, you know, music and um, it was a lot of fun. It just wasn't the Zocalo, which I'll be honest, Mexico City is built on a lake. I don't know anything about engineering but I don't know how the Zocalo doesn't sink for El Grito. I'm glad it doesn't, but you, it's, you know, it's just so gigantic and people were standing shoulder to shoulder and there was a stage with music and people were dancing and kids with those pencil shaped balloons. And, you know, so it was super hectic. I was not far and it was hectic where I was but it wasn't like hectic like that. Um, but uh, so I had a great time watching the festivities where I was for El Grito. And then the next day was the actual Independence Day. And so by now it's the fourth day. And I'd like to point out that when I got to Central four days before, it wasn't like nothing had started yet things that were already happening. Um, and I realized why you have to have so many food stands on the route because people need stamina. Um, I don't know how people kept going. I was exhausted and I was just on the edges of it. Um, but now we're in the fourth day. It's the actual Independence Day. And this is the day of the military parade. Now, I was staying at the Hilton Reforma on Juarez, which is one of the widest streets in the world. And, of course, they blocked it, you know, for the parade. 
And I had a great spot to stand right in front of my hotel and watch the parade. And as I'm watching the parade, I realized something I didn't know. It's a military parade. So it's not like there's a bunch of aldermen from Chicago marching that you have to like watch them march and shake hands with people. They're super annoying and I hate the aldermen in Chicago. No, it's not like that at all. It's military, so they're marching. Everybody is very serious. This is like the most serious parade ever. And there's the National Guard, and there's the Navy, and the Marines, and the Army, and just, but I'm not even doing it justice. There's battalion after battalion after battalion. But guess who gets the biggest applause? These trucks that go by that like feed people when there's an emergency. It's not exactly the Red Cross because it's the military, but it's like the military, part of the military that feeds people. When they go by, the crowd goes crazy. Everybody loves the part of the military that feeds people. I don't know what part it is. I don't know what they're called. But if I ever got drafted, I would say, can I please be in the part of the military that feeds people? Because they're extremely popular and I love to be popular. So they get, everybody goes crazy. Now, there's troops that march from other countries. I've never seen anything like this. Um, There's Argentina and Bolivia, mainly South American countries. Weirdly, I don't know why, there's a big battalion from the Polish army marching. I can't figure that out, but it's there. They get a big round of applause, so there must be like a very strong connection between Poland and Mexico. But here is the thing that surprised me. Oh, and I was just, I I had mixed emotions about like, was an army from the USA going to march? Because, you know, every day the headlines from the states are extremely anti-Mexico from that nitwit criminal in the White House. So I was like, what if the American army marches? I, you know, it was, but they didn't. So that, that issue never came up. But this was the thing that really surprised me. The Spanish army marches. They had like a battalion from the army from Spain. I think it's odd since the whole point of this exercise of the Independence Day, 10-year war, it's all to get Spain out of Mexico. So now to see the Spanish army marching up Juarez in the military parade, I thought was a little odd. And I thought if I ran the show to make it more interesting, I would have the Mexican army chasing the Spanish army. That might be a little more fun. But, you know, um, I guess everything is good with Spain. So they marched and uh, everybody applauded and everybody applauded everything. But nobody applauded anything more than the part of the army that feeds people. Now, my hotel, uh, the where I was staying at this point, having been, having had to leave the first hotel, was right across from Alameda Park. I think it's called Alameda Park. Um, Maybe it's called Alameda Square. I don't know. All I know is it's a lovely park. But right across 
from my hotel particularly, it's the part of the park where they sell everything. And when I say everything, you could be like, I think I'd like a crepe. And I also think I'd like a new gold necklace. I think I'll go to the Alameda. Because in the Alameda, you could buy a crepe and a new gold necklace and weirdly, a funnel cake, which I never expected to see funnel cakes, but there they were. Um, you could buy a hamburger. You could buy a taco. You could buy a wool sweater. Do you need a blanket and a taco? Well, this is the place to go. Would you like some makeup and maybe a ham sandwich? This is the place to go. The Alameda had everything. Like You would never have to shop anywhere else because I saw somebody selling heads of cabbage, or it looked like heads of cabbage, right next to somebody who was applying fake eyelashes. I This is might be the single greatest outdoor mall in history because there was nothing that you could think you might want that you couldn't get at the Alameda. So as you can guess, I spent most of my time the next two days at the Alameda. And it was great. And it was a one... So even though I was sort of sad that I had to leave the hotel that was in the Zocalo, it wasn't far from the Zocalo, and it was a completely different experience. And the worst part, of course, was that I had to walk against the tide with my luggage which sounds like a sad story, but it was only like four blocks. Um, and it was, and then by the evening, it was all over. It was, it, and weirdly, I'm not kidding. Since I have been in Mexico City, it has rained just about almost every day. It always rains about five o'clock. You could pretty much set your watch by it. It might not rain for long, maybe half an hour, an hour. It might not be a heavy rain. Sometimes it is, but it rains almost every day. But for those four days of celebrating Mexican Independence Day, it was like the heavens said, eh, we're not going to bother Mexico City with the rain right now. Everybody's having such a great time. Let people celebrate. And so there was no rain. And no rain for four days is huge, in my opinion, because we're in the rainy season. Um, but then that night, like the 16th, about 5, 6 o'clock, it started raining and it didn't stop. But it just kind of, you know, was the end of the celebration. And so it was the perfect time for it to rain and it sort of cleans the streets and um, it, it was the right thing to happen at the right time. And the next day, you would think the city would be quiet, tired, hungover. And I don't mean like an alcohol hangover, although I'm certain like after any celebration anywhere, there'd be an alcohol hangover. It was like you'd expect a tired hangover. I know I was very tired and I really didn't do anything. Um, but watch. But no, the city was not tired. It was back to business because the business of Mexico is business, if you ask me. There isn't anything you can't buy here if you want it. A friend of mine told me recently, if you just want one egg, 
you could go to a store and buy one egg. If if it can be sold, they will sell it here. Um, you never, nobody has to worry about Mexico ever being a communist country because nowhere is capitalism more alive than in Mexico based upon what I've seen. And so you wonder, or I wonder, like, why does Donald Trump hate Mexico so much? Because, right, it's like, what's the latest? He wanted to build a moat on the border and put snakes and alligators and have soldiers with bayonets. I mean, the guy is so stupid and so medieval and ridiculous and a crazy-eyed killer, and I can't stand him. Nobody hates him more than I do. But when I see how th- how capitalism just thrives here, I think, why, you know, capitalism, why does... Why does Trump hate Mexico so much? There's so much business going on here. You would think he'd love it. And then I realized why, what his thing is with Mexico. It's nothing to do with people from Mexico. It's probably because Mexico won't buy all that crap he sells, like his steaks and his hotels and all that. They're probably like, no, thank you. We don't want it. They won't even sell his stuff at the Alameda, and you can buy everything at the Alameda. And so that's why I think, that's what I think he bothers him about Mexico and why he's so anti-Mexico. It's got nothing to do with the people. It's just because they won't sell his garbage. So I loved the stay in Centro. I loved celebrating Independence Day and watching the festivities from the safety of my hotel room. But... When I got back to my place, I was happy, of course, to be home. I consider my place home. But there was a power failure. It was daytime, and it took me a minute to figure it out, but ah, I couldn't get a light on. Then I realized nothing was on, that somehow there'd been a power failure. So it's hard to explain, but where I live was at one time like a huge estate. And then the family sort of divided the estate into separate apartments. Some are smaller, some are bigger. And I have a studio, but there's like one bedrooms and two bedrooms. And um, and the members of the family that own the estate live here. And it's like an Airbnb. So I get to feel like I live on an estate, even though it's not. Um, I have a studio. But in any event, so when I see that there's no power, I walk downstairs and I find somebody that, um, one of the people that runs a place and they come up and they're like, oh, you're right, there is no power. And then it turned out that shortly after I left, like four days before, there had been a brief power outage. And I guess you had to just like hit a fuse or something to get the power back on. But because I was gone there was no power in my place for four days. Well, immediately to me, this meant get everything out of the refrigerator because it's toxic. Now, it's a tiny refrigerator, and basically all I have in there are condiments and beverages, but it was all going. And luckily, there's like housekeeping service here twice a week, and that was the day that the housekeeper was coming. And so I told her, I'm like, the place is clean. Just if you could please clean out the refrigerator, throw everything out. Um, That's all you have to do. I didn't care about anything else. 
And so, you know, I communicated that to her in my terrible Spanish, and she understood, but she didn't think everything needed to be thrown out. And so she left, and she brought somebody else in for a second opinion. And now there was a debate about, well, maybe the mustard is good. And I'm like, no, I, I let's just get it all out. Because to me, the whole thing was toxic. Um, and then they brought a third person in. I don't know if you've ever seen the Marx Brothers movie, A Night at the Opera, the stateroom scene, where people keep coming into the teeny tiny stateroom, manicurists, plumbers, room service, a masseuse, the, the room gets progressively more crowded until uh, Margaret Dumont, the uh, character actress in all their movies, opens a door to the stateroom and everybody falls on top of her. It's very funny. It was beginning to feel like that because the amount of people, owners of the place, other guests, everybody started piling into my room to go through the contents of the refrigerator to give their opinion on what could or should not stay um, and what I should throw out. And again, there wasn't much in there besides condiments and beverages. A little bit of cheese, a little bit of bread. I didn't care what anybody said. It was all going, but I let them all have their say. And then when they all left, I turned to the girl, I gave her, a, the housekeeper, I gave her a bigger tip, and I'm like, please, just get it all out. And she did. But the debate that went on, I literally sat on a chair and I watched the discussions and listened to them and people trying to convince me to keep this or keep that. I don't, I don't know why people were so involved in the contents of my refrigerator and what should or should not stay, but I loved it. It was another moment of loving Mexico to death. Um, I hope you enjoyed this little trip into Centro. I hope you enjoyed uh, the You Are Almost There experience of celebrating Mexico's Independence Day. By the way, one more thing I got to tell you about it. There's a great dish they make for Independence Day called chiles en nogada. And it's like a gigantic chili stuffed with ground beef and like fruit, like fruits of the season. And then it's in this nut sauce. And I know this description does not do it justice, but it's so delicious and you only get it for Independence Day. Well, for like the month leading up to Independence Day. Because once again, the war took 10 years. The celebrations take almost as long. So I have been eating chiles in Nogada pretty much ever since I got here, I think. No, not quite probably, um, you know, from August on. And now it's come to an end, and it's very sad. I've tried them in many places, and it's, you know, it's a delicious dish that if you have the opportunity to try it, you got to try it. Um, it's red, white, and green for the Mexican flag, but it's also, unlike the red, white, and green eyelashes or red, white, and green wigs, or red, white, and green t-shirts, jewelry, necklaces, anything. This, this is delicious, red, white, and green. Um, and so I hope that you get to experience the joy and fun and fascination of a Mexican Independence Day. And I hope you come to Mexico City 
and take a look at El Zocalo. And I know if you're listening and you haven't seen it, you think I'm exaggerating when I say how gigantic it is, but I am not, and you need to see it for yourself. See you next time. Thanks for listening.